All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for our time of worship. Thank you for the reminder on the front end of service that uh, our minds are to be renewed and we are sanctified by your truth. And ultimately, as your disciples, Jesus, as followers of Christ, uh, the totality of our life is to be viewed through the lens of the Bible. We are to develop a biblical worldview to, to hear and be doers uh, biblically. And Lord, we're reminded that uh, we need the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Counselor, uh, to not just help us understand Your Word, but then to bring application. And so uh, we yield, we submit, ask You to uh, help us this morning as we open Your Word once again. And then, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers and again, in the doing and the obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be transformed. Metamorphosis would continue to occur from the inside out. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to continue on this series that we've been in the last few weeks, really focusing on, in a, in a general sense, Lord, in a culture, in a country, in a world that is quickly changing. In fact, I would guess that for many of you... Uh, you would never have guessed a generation ago that, that the condition, the spiritual condition of our country is such as it is, right? And, and if you were sort of maybe in spiritual cruise control, depending on your generation, because we were a quote-unquote Christian country and, and everything was sort of generally hunky-dory as a Christian, uh, many in the church in this country have been uh, quite challenged recently. Uh, and so we have spent this past few weeks saying, okay, Lord, in the changing culture, in the changing values and in, in, in the shrinking grayness of our culture, as a believer in Jesus Christ, what am I to be about? What, how do I stay rooted? How do I stay grounded in that? And, and we're in this series just through the rest of summer to really say, oh, okay. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is, Although much has changed in the country, human-wise, legal-wise, maybe moral value-wise, nothing has changed biblically. Nothing has changed in terms of our calling, in terms of God's unchanging nature and unchanging truth. And so we're spending the summer going, okay, let's go back to the basis, let's go back to the core, let's see in the midst of all the change how I stay the course. How I stay the course. And in John 15, we, we start because part of this, it's funny because in, in other parts of the world, the church, meaning those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, persecution and, and trials and tribulations as a believer, that's kind of like par for the course. It's not a surprise. The church in the United States is kind of playing catch up. Suddenly things have happened and all of a sudden we're like, oh, oh, what do we do now? What do we do now? Right? As, as if we're surprised. And in many ways you might be because it's been sort of calm and peaceful for several generations around here as a whole. But suddenly things have happened and we're as believers going, what happened? Ah, ah, ah. And so part of settling down is to go back to Scripture and realize it's always been like this. Look at John 15, 18. Jesus is talking about His disciples, you and me. If the world hates you, 
John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So it shouldn't be a surprise. No. And this is where, I mean, it sounds simple, but, but in the American culture, one of the things that, that seeped into the church is this, is this false teaching. Come to Jesus and the trials and tribulations go away. It, it, right? Anyone? Turn to the person next to you and say, did that happen to you? <laughs> no. Nah. How many it got worse? Right? But what seeped in to, our, to the church's teaching was, come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. He's going to make it all right. And your circumstances are going to be changed for the better. Right? Yeah, right? Jesus way back then says, hey, by the way, if they hated and persecuted me, welcome to the club. Why is that important? We have to, if, if we don't accept that truth, then we fight circumstances. Rather than going vertical and trusting in the nature of God and God's truth and what He's going to do through the trial, we get angry that we're having a trial and we focus on God taking the trial away. What did the Apostle Paul say about the thorn in his flesh? The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He says, three times I asked God to take it away. And what did God say? Nope. My strength is made perfect in your what? Weakness. See, if you're going through something today, God knows. And in His sovereignty and His all-powerfulness and His immutability, we may not understand why He's allowing it, but we have to understand that that's just part of it. And rather than saying, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like God, I tried God and my life got worse, I'm out. We say, Lord, in the midst of this, how do I draw closer to you? In the midst of this, what are you trying to teach me? In the midst of this, how do I mature? See the difference? But you've got to go with your back. Jesus says, hey, if the world hates you, hated me first. Right? Let's go to 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is giving counsel to his young mentee. He's mentoring Timothy. 2 Timothy is after Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Right? 2 Timothy 3, 10 says this. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. That's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, Timothy, hey, you all knew, you know, you know the good and the bad in my life. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, 
Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who here wants to live a godly life? Careful. Finish the, finish the verse. Having read all of God's truth, I'm going to ask it again. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who wants to live a godly life? Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this, take it the right way. What's God's promise? You're going to be persecuted. <sighs> Uncomfortable. Not the way I would write the story. Right? But because it's God's truth, we say, okay. It's going to happen. I yield to the truth that I want to live a godly life. Persecutions are going to come. And we know in other parts of Scripture, and we're going to look at that next week, that it's all for my good. God matures me. God grows me. He allows it for specific reasons. But at the core, we have to stop fighting this idea of why is it happening to me? Why is it happening to me, right? And, 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 and if you read the news over the last several weeks with everything that came down uh, in the courts and everything, all of a sudden, Christians, you get this sense that we were surprised. How come they don't like us here anymore? Note to self, they didn't like you from the beginning. You, you weren't liked. The world hates you. There's a devil that wants to destroy you. He's like a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. You get what I'm saying? And yet, because we've been in a quote-unquote Christian country, being Christian at times was cool. Got my Christian t-shirt, got my Christian bumper sticker, WWJD, and, and all this thing in the country, right? We're, it's just cool to be a Christian. You got Christian celebrities, Christian singers, Christian athletes, Christian whatever. And it was like cool. And very quickly in the last few years, all of a sudden, it's not so cool. All of a sudden, you're intolerant. All of a sudden, it's hate. All of a sudden, you're narrow-minded. You're not on the Christmas card list anymore. You're like, what happened? We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. Turn to 1 Peter 4. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Keep going to your right. A few books. 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4.12, Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are enduring sufferings, okay, that are enduring very, very harsh sufferings in a variety of ways. And look what he says in 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, do not be what? Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But what? Rejoice! that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. What? Not only are we not supposed to be surprised, we're supposed to what? Rejoice! How many are rejoicing in sufferings today? <laughs> Turn to the person next and say, Are you? <laughs> right? It says here, Rejoice. In James it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay? So we said at the beginning, when trials and sufferings and persecutions happen, are you, are you processing it at the human level or God's level? And we're going to be expanding on this. But, but as we move forward, as believers, 
the, wherever the country goes, wherever the world goes, core today, first principle, don't be surprised. Don't, don't be surprised. Okay? Jesus said it was going to happen. The Apostle Paul said it was going to happen. And Peter said not to be surprised. Okay? And, 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 and why are we surprised? Why do we react the way we do? Sometimes it's because we're carrying around a false or incorrect belief deep at the core that we didn't know we had. We didn't know we had. And a, and a circumstance happens and our, Why God? Why God? I go to church. I serve. I give. How could you let this happen? Actually reveals a false belief system. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we live with a contract. We have a contractual relationship with God. God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to even go Wednesday nights. Is that bonus? I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. And by the way, God, wink, wink, Sunday nights, I'm there. And it's this sort of unspoken contractual arrangement we try to make with God. I'm going to do all of this good stuff. And in return, your part of the deal is take away all the bad stuff. Sometimes we have to wrestle with just giving that that up. And our, and our struggle and our animosity and our hardening of heart towards God is actually Him revealing that you're carrying something that needs to be addressed biblically. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our reactions sometimes, what I call, betray us. Our reactions betray us in terms of exposing a, a belief that we were carrying that we didn't even know we had or we maybe didn't want to actually say. So first off the bat today, persecution, suffering, trials, it's par for the course. It's what God does in and through that trial and in and through you and me where we grow. Amen? So turn to the person next to you and say, hang in there. Right? He's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet, right? So, are we supposed to then go, okay, they say say the world's going to hate me. I want to live godly and be persecuted. And Peter says I'm not supposed to be surprised. Are we just supposed to slide into a martyr syndrome then? Like Eeyore, woes me, I'm hated, persecution and suffering till I go to heaven. Is that what we're supposed to do then? No. No, 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 no. But some slide there and they become a martyr. And this victim mentality as a Christian, no, no, that's not it either. What we're supposed to do in the power of the Holy Spirit is engage. Engage, walk, make choices. And what he does, turn to Philippians 3. We're going to start looking at the Apostle Paul, who he told, we already saw in Timothy, he said, hey man, you know my persecutions and sufferings. Turn to Philippians 3. What are we supposed to do now that we know the world hates us, now that we're going to be persecuted, now there's sufferings, what are we supposed to do? Well, in Philippians 3.12, yes, the Apostle Paul says, press on. Press on. We're not to develop a martyr victim. We're to press on. And look what he says in Philippians uh, 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for, what, uh, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Right? And we looked at this at the beginning of the year. Press on! In the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to press on. Amen? We're going to press on together. Right? And in the pressing on, God's going to do some incredible things. Now, He gives us very practical application. So skip down to verse 17. He says this. 
Here's how you press on. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He says to these believers in Philippi, Hey, if you're going to press on in this world with persecution, sufferings, trials, and all this, number one thing, find some godly examples. Find some godly examples around you and take their lead. Right? Ephesians 1, 5, 1 and 2, you don't have to turn there. It says, hey, we're to be imitators of God. Right? 1 Corinthians four fifteen and 16, the Apostle Paul says this, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What do you say here? If you're going to press on, you've got to choose proactively to find godly examples. You've got to find godly examples. It's not a pride issue, right? And that word, it's very interesting in, in Philippians 3 where it says, take note. That word is scopeo, where we get the word scope, microscope. And what he's saying here is to spy out. He says, attentively keep fixing your attention upon those who exemplify godly conduct. If you want to press on, you've got to surround yourself with some godly people. You've got to. That's why it says don't forsake the gathering. Hebrews 10. It's not just because you're supposed to come to church. It says, hey, you've got to proactively choose to surround yourself with godly people and then follow their example. That's what he's saying. And then it says, look in verse uh, 18. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. A lot of scholars believe he's talking about professing Christians who are using salvation as a license to sin so from 17 to 19 he says this hey if you want to press on find godly examples because there's a lot of professing christians out there who are caught up in the world doing whatever they want to do living for the flesh you got to be real careful about them you got to be real careful about them because they're going to sway you they're going to affect you So the question this morning for us from these two verses, are you proactively seeking out godly examples to mentor you, to disciple you, to meet with you? Are you proactively doing that? Or are you, you know, what they call the quote-unquote Lone Ranger Christian? Because I'll tell you this right now. You were not designed as a believer to grow in isolation. In fact, the Bible says you're put in the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ is where you use your gifts and you grow and you mature. So the question is, are you proactively scoping out godly examples, godly mentors in your life? Or are you just like, nah, I got this. I got this. I got this. And that's where you've got to be real careful. Because there's a lot of believers out there, a lot of professing believers 
who say, oh, man, you know, church, I don't need church. Scripture, I don't need scripture. It's boring. Pray, I don't need to pray. Right? Oh, man, no, there's a lot of freedom in Christ. Dude, come on, we're saved, man. We can do whatever we want. Is that who you're surrounding yourself with? You've got to be real careful with who you're hanging out with. You've got to be real, real careful with who you're hanging out with. In Corinthians, there was this false teaching about no resurrection. And look what, look what the Apostle Paul says to the church. He says, so there's these people denying the resurrection. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, as a youth pastor, we love to use that with, with kids with peer pressure, right? But now that I'm a senior pastor, <laughs> I'm going to talk to the adult level here. Adults. Who are you hanging with? Who are you hanging with? Because Paul says, hey, you need to actively spy out and find godly examples and follow their lead while at the same time being real careful that there's a whole lot of people who profess to be Christians who are just living for the flesh and just doing what they want to do. Who are you hanging with? Honestly. Who are you taking your cues from in your walk with Jesus? Honestly. Who? And then we go one step further. What kind of example are you being? What if someone, without you even knowing, sitting around you in this room right now, has spied you out? I'm going to focus on Tina. I'm going to take my lead from Tina. She says she's a Christian. I'm going to take my lead from her. What kind of example are you being? Now, sometimes it may be direct. Sometimes you may have someone say, hey, can I meet with you? Hey, I'd like you to disciple me. Hey, can we just get together? Other times, you don't even know they're watching you. Other times, you're leading by example, and uh, you don't even know. As a youth pastor, this was one of the, the biggest challenges I had. This is where I got taken off the Christmas list of the parents. Because parents would send their kids to youth groups so the youth pastor could fix them. And then they would go home. And for the other six and a half days, they would be around the parents and their example of Christianity. And it was not uncommon in all my years of youth ministry to have students come and say, I'm confused. Because I love coming here. We're learning the Bible. We love worship. We go to human. I'm growing. And then I go home. And this is how my parents live. And they sit in the church while I'm here in youth group. You see? It's the power of example. It's the power of example. And Paul says, find the godly ones, follow their lead, but be real careful about those who profess to be believers but are really living in the flesh. You've got to avoid them. You've got to be real careful. Bad company corrupts good. You've got to be real careful. So if someone were watching you, hidden camera. In fact, uh, Eileen, put the screen down. We have some hidden footage of you guys this week. 
Ah, just kidding. Roll, <laughs> roll. It's okay, Olivia. Breathe. Who is with you 24-7? Yes. We live for an audience of one. We are called to be godly examples 24-7 because we want to love and please Him. Amen? Amen? And so the Apostle Paul says, press on, find godly examples, avoid, avoid false teachers and bad influences. And by the way, you be a godly example too. Because you never know who's watching. And they are. And someone may just come up, and it is, it is a wonderful privilege and a blessing to be asked to be discipled. Or, hey, can I meet with you? Hey, I'd really love to just get with you and, and understand more about what this Christianity is about. That's a wonderful blessing and privilege. Right? And then he says this, verse 20a, but our citizenship is in heaven. So he says, hey, we're going to press on. We're going to seek godly counsel. We're going to, godly examples. And we're going to avoid ungodly examples. And he says, underlying it all is where you're from. Your citizenship is in heaven. Now, let me, let me, let me help you understand how the believers in the city of Philippi, the, with the letter, this was written to Philippians, the people in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony 800 miles east of Rome. Okay. So the residents of Philippi, they were legal status as Roman citizens. Okay? They were governed by Roman law. They practiced Roman customs. Okay? So, basically, it was a colony. The Apostle Paul says, Hey, Christians, you're a colony of foreigners on this planet called Earth. Your citizenship, your true citizenship isn't here. So how are you living? See, the residents of, of Philippi, they were like, yeah, we know Rome's 800 miles away, but they're walking around like, no, but I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman citizen. This is just a colony, but this is a little Rome. We have Roman values. We have Roman customs. We have Roman laws. I'm a Roman citizen. So when Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven, he's saying, hey, Christians, are you caught up in your citizenship being from heaven or are you caught up as an earth dweller, an American, a United States citizen? How are you operating? According to what values, what customs, what laws really drives you? He says, you are a colony of foreigners. Right? There's, this, there's these t-shirts I even wear when it says N-O-T-W. And bumper stickers, what does it mean? Not of this world. Where does that come from? Let's just look at this. Let's do a little survey. Turn to John 17. Look what Jesus says. John 17. John 17, he's talk, Jesus is praying for, talking about his disciples and himself. John 17, 16. 
John 17, 16. The word they, he's talking about his disciples, his followers. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Right? Turn to John 18. Look at verse 36. During Jesus' trial, he says this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus says, hey, I'm not from here. And those who follow me, by the way, they're not from here either. They're not from here either. And then turn to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So where are you from? Where are you from? And maybe more more challenging is when you leave here, do people know where you're from? People know where you're from? Your true citizenship? Is that, is that, is that revealed? Demonstrated? Can they tell that you're not of this world? That you have another kingdom? Your citizenship resides elsewhere? Right? In fact, you know, kind of we're short timers here. We're short timers. Turn to First Peter 2. Keep going back. Hebrews, James, First Peter 2. First Peter two eleven. Dear friends, I urge you as what? Aliens and strangers in the world. Who's he talking to? Believers. Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Peter says, You're an alien and stranger. Really? My passport says I'm from the United States. Hmm. Hmm. It's really interesting. The, the picture here is those who are, who are pilgrims. Those who are traveling short time in a place, right? It says we are living beside the people of the earth, but we're not to live like them. See, our citizenship is in heaven. We're aliens. We're strangers on this planet called Earth. We're a, we're a colony of heaven. So what are we supposed to do with that? How does that work? It's interesting because my daughter Shiloh, you know, for the last several weeks, she's had the privilege with a couple friends to go to, to London and France, and now she's in Scotland. But you know what? She's just passing through. She's not a citizen of any of those. Her passport says United States. She's just on a little... She's a pilgrim. She's a sojourner. She's just traveling through for a short time. She, she's among them. You know, but my guess is the locals know they're not from there. My guess is the locals know that my daughter and her friends are not from there. Do the locals 
know that we are not from here. Do the locals know that we are just traveling and passing through and our citizenship is in heaven and we are governed by something else? By our life and by our language Right? How many ever been to Disneyland or some touristy place and you hear a language and you say, where are they from? Anyone? How many of us walk and act in this community to where the community says, where are they from? Where are they from? Is there a difference? Can they tell where your citizenship is? Or have we become so immersed in the stuff of the world that they can't even tell where we're from? Right? Look what he says here. Keep reading this. I love the next verse. All right, let's read them uh, 2, 11 and 12 again. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now check this out. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Isn't that awesome? He says, hey, you're strangers and aliens. They're going to persecute you. They might even accuse you. But here's the deal. Live such a good life that it closes their mouth. That your life declares, I'm not from here. I'm just passing through. I'm not from here. I'm just passing through. I came across this, this article back from 2013. It says, the 10 countries with notoriously bad tourists. And I love this. I love this. It says, the, the, the paragraph opening says, when you travel the world, like it or not, you are a representative of your country. And your behavior, good or bad, can reflect on your nation as a whole. Guess who was the number one worst tourist in the survey? That's right. Americans. Americans by far, are the worst tourists and have the worst reputation around the world. I love what this says. Your behavior, good or bad, reflects on your nation as a whole. Oh, really, Jesus? Because I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just passing through this. And my behavior, good or bad, reflects on my Father's kingdom. What kind of reputation... What, 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 what example are we setting? What, what are we demonstrating by our behavior about where we're really from? Where we're really from. Right? He says, hey, if you're going to press on, settle the issue that persecution, suffering, and all that's going to happen. Find godly examples. Be a godly example. And then live as a citizen of heaven. Amen? You're a stranger. You're a foreigner. This is not the end. We spent how many weeks on heaven? A lot. Why did we spend so much on heaven? To get it from here to here that that's our home. That's our home. Amen? And then we'll close with this. Turn to Luke 10. In Luke, Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples, missionary, sends them out to the mission field. 
Right? Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So they go out into the mission field. Boom. Go. And then he start, they come back and they're excited because great things are happening. Look what he says in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They go out there and they're doing it for Jesus, evangelizing, casting out demons. They're like floating them. They're like, woohoo! This is awesome. Let's go tell Jesus. So they come back, Jesus, even the demons. I casted out demons. And Jesus, boom, woo! Right? Verse 18. Jesus says, hey, you know what? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I know you're stoked about all the good stuff you're doing. I know you're stoked about the demons leaving. But let me give it right back into perspective. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because that's where you're really from. So question, if you're a believer, as you sit here this morning, where is your name written? Is it going to be written or is it written? It is. It is, Rhonda. It is. Do you get it? Jesus says, hey, all this great stuff happening on the earth, that's, that's good, that's good. But let me give you the real reason. The real reason to rejoice is you're a citizen of heaven and your name is in the book up there. Doesn't it put it in perspective? He's saying, let me give you the real perspective here. You're going to do stuff in my name and I give you that. And I, that, that authority came from me, by the way. And be enthused. Be excited. Hey, OVCF, God's doing great things here, transforming lives, you know, wonderful things. But OVCF, let me tell you where your real source of joy is. As you sit here this morning at 1015 on July 19th, your name is written in heaven. Which means if you something were to happen on your way home, your spot's reserved. You're good to go. You're good to go. And all he's saying is, use that as the primary source of your rejoicing. And if you will focus there that your name is in heaven, in the book of life, take that source of joy and then go be a citizen and a tourist while you're on earth. And live in such a way that the people in Ojai and your family and your friends go, where are you from? Where have you been hanging out? Who are you hanging out with these days? Because that ain't the way you used to talk, Scotty. <laughs> right? Who are you hanging with? Tina, how come you don't hang with us anymore? We used to be, we used to be tight Friday nights. We, it was girls' night and we go do our thingy thing. How come you can't come anymore? Right? What's it all about? I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just being a citizen of heaven. 
And I want to live in such a way that the people in this community say, where are you from? What accent is that? Well, it's a heavenly accent. How do you react that way? Well, because that's the way where we're from, this is how we react to trials. Where we're from, this is how we... You see what I'm saying? Well, where we're from, where we're from, this is how we talk. Where we're from, this is what we choose to do and not do. Where we're from! And hopefully we're living such in a way that people say this, I want to go. Can I come? I like that place. You mean people love each other and they care about each other where you're from? They're not perfect, but they're, but they're doing their best in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to be in fellowship and to care for each other's needs. Can I go? I want to go there. That's what he's saying. We're citizens of heaven. We are, present tense. We're aliens. We're strangers. Our names are already written in the book. He just wants us to go out there and live it so people will say, hey man, where are you from? And when you tell them, hopefully they'll say, can I go? I want to go. I want to go. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that persecutions and suffering and trials, it's just par for the course as your disciples. So rather than fighting it, we're going to trust you in it. Rather than asking you to take it away, we're going to say, Lord, what are you doing in me? And how can I trust you more? And then you tell us to pursue godly examples. So Father, would you identify those in our life, those in our circles, those in this church that are godly examples that I can follow their lead? And Lord, would you give me the the courage and, and even the willingness to make a choice to rearrange my schedule to connect with godly examples? And then, Lord, maybe maybe this morning there are people in my life that have been uh, bad influences. Even professing believers that have been caught up in the world and, and very, very slowly I, I've, I've gotten swayed. So, Lord, maybe today I need to have the courage to, to sever some ties to make a choice to, to step away from the people that may be influencing me away from you. And then we see in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. As we sit here as believers, our name is currently written in the book of life. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are not of this world. And would you so empower us and so fill us with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that others in our community, in our family, in our workplace would say, where are you from? And I want to go there. Can I be there? So Jesus, we, we ask you to bring the application to our lives. And we're reminded of your example, Jesus, being fully God. You came down to this planet for a time. And you lived a perfect, sinless life. And you died on a cross. 
so that by faith in you, we could be saved and our name written in the book of life and become a citizen of heaven. All because of what you did, Jesus. So in this time of communion, we hold the cups in remembrance of you, but but in application this morning, we hold the cups as a reminder that we are citizens of heaven. Aliens, strangers, simply passing through this planet. And now our desire is to honor and glorify you in the time we have on this planet. That others would see our good deeds and glorify you. So we love you. Give you this time of, of communion and reflection. In Jesus' name. Amen.